Welcome back. You're watching Stock Picks, and today we unpack all things telecoms. That's with Vodacom, MTN, and Blue Label, and that's with Anchor Capital's Peter Armitage. Peter, always a pleasure. Good afternoon to you. Good afternoon. All right, Peter, maybe let us know why you've sent us into the telco sector today. Yeah, I thought just an interesting, um, interesting time to look at it. We just had some trading updates and results. Um, it's a sector that's looking pretty cheap. We haven't been wild about it for quite some time. Um, but I think depending on what type of investor you are, uh, there's some interesting opportunities lining up. So let's talk about Blue Label, because I think for me, this is the one that's a little bit opaque. <laughs> um, uh, let's talk about uh, what you're seeing here. We know that uh, Salsi is a big part of Blue Label, but it sounds like there's other things that are happening within uh, Blue Label's uh, telecoms uh, portfolio. Yeah, so to be clear, Blue Label wasn't the pick of the three. Um, we <laughs> yeah. put it as number three on the list. Mm -hmm. But it's still very interesting. Mm. I think it's a, it's a company that's flattered to deceive. Um, it listed 10 years ago, I think at around the 8 Rand level. It's sitting at 3 Rand 30 odd today. Um, and it is extremely complex. I mean, it's very, if you, if you read through the set of financials, you'll find it very difficult to make head or tail of all the different businesses and relationships and hard works. Um, its key business is airtime sales, um, and then they've added on to that, doing electricity sales, so electronic uh, distribution, I guess, um, of different electronic products. Now, they're making about a rand a share. The share's trading at about three rand thirty. Um, constant worries about sell C and its balance sheets and liquidity. So it's gone right off the radar screen. Uh, but there is some speculation around. We don't know anything um, definitively. You know, and it, it would make sense given what's happened in the market. If management were to delist the business, it's it's fundamentally worth a hell of a lot more. So it's fairly speculative. Um, you wouldn't buy it for the you know good solid quality reasons of a compounding business over time. Um, but it's it's making a you know, it's making a lot of profit. Um, it's trading at a very low valuation, and I doubt it's going to stay in the state that it's in at that share price. Mm -hmm. You know, something's uh, something's going to move. Either the share price goes up or, you know, management are likely to probably want to buy it out. What's also interesting about it is that they are trying to gain control of Salsi. And I'm wondering if uh, gaining control would also allow us to uh, have a little bit more transparency about what's happening with Salsi. And that would make it even comparable, Peter, because it is hard to even compare Salsi to a Telcom or to a Vodacom because uh, maybe of the way that Blue Label uh, holds it on the financials. Yeah, so that's another one of the complications. It doesn't flow normally through the uh, the income statement. I think the you know they've got to be very very sure of financial stability to buy out the rest of it. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you know, Celsius is not optimized, and uh, I, I think it'd be fairly difficult to buy the other shareholders out at a value that would be very attractive for them. Um, you know, because of the debt in the business and the uncertainty, I think that's been off the table for quite some time. Then I must ask you about that deal with Capitec. I mean, Capitec is sitting with, uh, you know, millions of customers, and I think they've got a deal with a Capital Connect, uh, Capitec Connect. Could that give a Salsi a bit of an edge uh, over its peers, or have its oh, peers gone, you know, just so far gone because of uh, their balance sheet versus what might be sitting uh, with a Salsi or with a Blue Label? Yeah, I mean, there's 60-odd million uh, SIM cards or more in the country, depending on who and how you count them. Um, so it's one deal with one operation. You know, you it, it's it, it's significant, but it's not a complete game changer. A lot, you know, the networks have got all sorts of deals with all sorts of parties, um, all trying to inch out that extra bit of market share.
Then I'm keen to uh, get into maybe the bigger ones because I think uh, that's a little bit more clear what's happening there. Let's start with MTN. Uh, I'm keen to get your thoughts on MTN as a counter uh, overall. And a traditional MTN versus this uh, MTN of uh, the strategy, I think they're calling it Ambition 2025. Yeah, so, you know, Rob Sheets has started a strategy to get MTN um, on, a, on a good growth path a few years ago, and they've done very well. Um, they've done a lot of the things they said they would do. They've sorted out the balance sheet. The return looks pretty reasonable. Um, but it is, you know, you must remember MTN was in, it's all over Africa. It was in Afghanistan, Syria, Iran, almost all of the countries where nobody else in the world wanted to go. And they've got rid of a lot of those. Uh, but the problem now, and... The repeated problem is is Nigeria, mm-hmm. um, you know, where the the, the the new guys in power there um, have decided to let the currency float. Um, it's uh, there's, there's there's parallel rates. The currency's been all over the place, and um, just massive sensitivity in in MTN's earnings to what the Nigerian naira has done. Uh, it's got it's got a hell of a lot weaker, and the naira has gone from three hundred to a thousand over the course of probably the last five or seven years. Um, so, you know, the earnings forecast for MTN would vary between 8 and 10 Rand, depending on what the Naira does against the Rand. And so Nigeria has been a constant headache for them. They've actually done very well, got a great presence there in, in uh, home currency. I was there six odd months ago, and MTN is absolutely everywhere. Um, but every now and then, the, the Nigerian tax authorities try and levy a ridiculous bill. When they're short on cash, they've typically managed to avoid those. So it's been a quite a corporate unfriendly environment for them. And now the currency has just been a massive headwind, and that's resulted in the share price, um, you know, dipping significantly. What well, is also interesting, and I'm keen to get your thoughts then on what it might look like if uh, MTN did list its fintech business, uh, and then it, we would have, I guess, MTN Group traditionally as we know it, uh, or, and MTN Nigeria listed on uh, there, and then also we would have the fintech business and how the the diversified nature of MTN, Peter, might uh, distort value or where the value sits. Would it? Yeah, so it is. You know, the share is cheap. It's trading now at below a forward 10 times P multiple. Um, and it, it bumps around. People kind of, you know, it does all right. And then people get confidence in it. The share price tracks up. And then something grows wrong somewhere because of the nature of the territories that they're in. So if you were able to have a portion of the earnings, which was um, shielded from the Nigerian uh, dynamics, uh, that could possibly get a higher rating. Um, the listing of MTN Nigeria is largely irrelevant because it's, you know, the MTN South Africa business still owns uh, the vast majority of it. And this is unbundled that completely, which is highly unlikely. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, the idea would be it's trading at a 10 multiple if they could take off some of their businesses and list separately and that could trade at a 15 multiple. You know, that could be an uplift for a portion uh, for a portion of it. So, you know, that would be a we've we've. We've treated MTN not as a long-term holding, yeah. uh, but we bought into it when everybody's lost patience and everything looks um, gloomy and uh, sold out as soon as everybody's feeling comfortable and it's gone up 30 40% again. So we don't own any at the moment. Let's talk about the MasterCard deal uh, and what that stands a chance for uh, doing for MTN. Yeah, so, you know, a strategic uh, uh, relationship there. They've, they've invested some capital at what appears to be a very attractive valuation. So it's, you know, the 
the nature of these telecoms companies is they've got vast consumer bases. So you often see them uh, getting strategic links with people who are attracted to those consumer bases. So you see that in Blue Label on the airtime sales side. You've just talked about Capitec and Sales C. Uh, you know, MasterCard are seeing the same. Uh, and, you know, a big American business that lives in a 20, 25 PE environment, um, you know, to, to buy a small stake in a, in a business, you know, that, 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 as I said, MTN is trading at a 10 multiple. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of an indication that there's parts of the business of MTN. Uh, which are fundamentally worth more, but the whole thing is tarnished with the Nigerian brush at the moment. There was also, Peter, that attempt at a deal with Telcom. Uh, what do we make of that and what uh, MTN uh, might have been thinking as a potential investor uh, into Telcom? Was that a fiber play like many people thought? Yeah, so, you know, it filled in some pieces of the jigsaw puzzle that MTN uh, didn't have. Um, you know, they, they obviously... It's, scale is very valuable in these businesses. The bigger you can get, you know, your your, your fixed cost per um, customer or consumer is less. Um, so, you know, I think that I saw a lot of it was, you know, there, there was an operational synergy perspective, but also a bit of a corporate finance exercise. And they thought they, thought they could get it cheap. Um, but clearly, I mean, it's I, I don't know how something like that would get through the competition commission. I think the, uh, it's become quite strict nowadays, unless there was kind of uh, agreement with government authorities before. Um, but it, you know, clearly the telecom board uh, thought that they'd rather do it themselves. They didn't like somebody else coming uh, to be the the value creator. Only time will tell there. Let's move on to uh, Vodacom now. Now, I'm keen to get your thoughts, actually, Peter, on Vodacom without Egypt and then with Egypt. Because I think over the last two reporting periods, uh, the, the Egypt acquisition has really, uh, you know, kind of taken over. And that's where we've seen most of the value. But without Egypt, uh, you know, is Vodacom uh, still as competitive or is the Egypt acquisition really important um, in the Vodacom that we're seeing uh, presently and, and the strength of it? Yeah, so um, Vodacom, these in, in South Africa, these cellular companies have been mature for quite some time. It's been very difficult to, to grow um, earnings. You've seen huge increases in data, but big drops in, uh, in um, you know, kind of talking minutes. But in aggregates, you know, people, most people would feel their cell phone bill is actually lower than it was, uh, if you think back to five or six years ago, mine certainly is. Uh, but so they've got a lot more customers and a lot more usage, but it's been very difficult to increase profits. So Vodacom for m- many years said that they could grow profits by mid, uh, mid single digits, sort of five to eight percent. They haven't done that. And, um, you know, it's been one, two, three percent growth for quite a long time. Uh, so it's, it's a, it was a cash cow and a cash flow generator and a nice dividend player. And the acquisition of, um, the Egyptian business which depending on what metric you use, but it's basically this, you know, similar size to SA from a, from a customer point of view, um, has, has changed the growth profile of, of Vodacom. Um, it's, it's roughly 20% of the size of, of the Vodacom as a whole. Um, but it's just grown by about 25% and probably can continue to do so for a year or two. So if you've got a portion of your business growing at a much faster growth rate than the rest, we think, um, you know, even though they've disappointed every year for the last six or seven years, um, the you know the, the, there's a very good prospect of Vodacom being able to put on kind of ten uh, percent plus 
earnings growth for, for probably two or three years. It's trading in a 6.5% dividend yield, so there's a nice yield coming through. And um, in fact, when MTN was quite a bit higher, we switched our telecoms exposure into Vodacom uh, because I think the growth profile and probably more importantly, the, the likelihood of the growth um, you know, became a lot firmer and we find Vodacom attractive. The price has fallen in sympathy with MTN and, and others. So it's also now trading at about a 10 uh, forward P multiple. Um, so it's one that, you know, it's a good solid cash flow generates. So I'm not going to shoot the lights out, but its growth rate uh, will accelerate a little bit. So if you, you know, the kind of investor who's looking for 10% growth, a 6% dividend, you know, it could land up being a, a pretty decent investment over two or three years. And then let's talk about Ethiopia, because that's a startup, and that's an interesting one. And what we do see is a very uneven, uh, you know, telco's uh, development across the continent. But Ethiopia, they've gone from scratch, and I think we're seeing a startup losses there, which is completely normal. But I'm wondering if the markets are not punishing Vodacom a little bit for what's happening in Ethiopia, even though the potential is huge. Yeah, so they, you know, they're a minority shareholder there, so it's not massive on the bottom line. Um, it appears that there's an inevitable J curve in a business because you've got to put in all the capex and then the customers come. Um, the losses there have, have probably peaked. That's the kind of consensus view out there. So, you know, as the losses decline and goes into profit, it's one of the things that will um, give you a, a growing bottom line. Uh, but it's not massively uh, material in the mix. You know, it's it's much less than five percent of of economic exposure. They're also building their financial services business. We've heard MTN speak about listing that separately. Would it be worth it for Vodacom to look at a similar exercise? Yeah, again, as you were saying earlier, all of these businesses have, have ma- massive customer base. Um, they all want to make money. You know, if you've it's if. It's it's amazing how Apple's you know making all the revenue out of these things when they've you know you've got their their device in your hand and a contract with them. So over time, there's been various levels of success with financial services. Um, MTN um, has been pretty successful throughout Africa, um, and it's really about having all those customers and being able to um, either the transfer of money or the loan of money or you know taking a clip across that entire customer base. So I think all of these uh, all of these cellular companies have got um, they've always made big noises about it. They've, they've had various levels of success, um, and it's uh, you know the, the, there is potential to add that extra extra few rand to the average revenue per user. Now, uh, Peter, I must ask you about the ranking of these. I know Vodacom is definitely your pick, so that's your number one. But for two and three, a uh, blue label versus uh, MTN, which one would you go with? Yeah, so for somebody with a long-term quality portfolio, um, so the ranking we've given is is Vodacom MTM Blue Label. But they're all very different investments and you buy them for different reasons. Um, MTN is, you know, people are quite negative about it. Uh, if Nigeria sorts of stuff out, it can kick back. Um, so I probably wouldn't, you know, buy into it now, but five or ten rand cheaper, you know, you you then starting to pay very little for Nigeria. Because it's you know you know you kind of uh, the, the the rest of the business is pretty solid. Um, Blue Label is a bunch of entrepreneurial guys. You're not going to sit on their hands. The share is probably worth well north of five or six rand. It's trading just above three rand. So that's much more of a speculative um, position. And if you you know you want to take a bet on some corporate action there, you know there's no certainty or we've got no idea what's actually going on there. Um, but when things get that cheap, 
and they still generate, you know, their last earnings, they still made a rand a share, roughly, um, of earnings. Again, they give about 10 different earnings numbers, so it depends how you interpret it. But whichever way you look at it, it's pretty cheap. There is some risk in the sell C balance sheet, um, but it's, uh, you know, I think a, a reasonable punt. And then I'm keen to get into the educational segment today. It's X and Coom Dividend. Speak to us about that one. Yeah, so I think it's just an interesting concept to understand um, the, you know, when a company declares a dividend, they give some dates. So they say from a certain date, you're entitled to the dividend. And um, at a certain date, it goes ex-div. Um, and ex-div means, and, and in fact, the reason I chose it, a company like Redefine, um, yesterday, if you owned the share, you were entitled to, I think it was a 22-odd cents dividend. And then it went ex-div last night. So if you if you owned the share yesterday, you're going to receive the dividend in a few days' time, so you're entitled to it. So the share is actually worth 22 cents less today. It's gone ex-div. So the um, uh, redefine at 3 rand 60 yesterday, um, if it's at 3 rand 40 today, um, you've actually got the same economic value because you've got the 3 rand 40 plus the 20 cents dividend. So often you see, especially with big dividend payers, the day that it goes ex-div, so in other words, you lose the right to um, the dividend, you see 5 6% uh, moves, and that's the case with Redefine today, but it doesn't actually reflect a loss of economic value for the shareholder who's held it through through the time period. Um, and now a lot of people actually try and make trades on that. You know, So they'll buy a share um, w- with the dividend, um, that we call it a dividend strip. And if the you know, if share price is 10 rand and there's a 1 rand dividend, uh, they're hoping that they can buy it at 10 rand and then uh, when it goes X to sell it for 9 rand 20 and then they've oh. got the 1 rand dividend as well. So it's a trading kind of style that a lot of people use. Um, but uh, the market's smart, so uh, it's quite difficult to consistently make money out of that. Very interesting. Thank you for teaching that uh, to us, Peter. It was a pleasure having you uh, on Stock Picks with us. Thank you for your time today. That was Anchor Capital's Peter Armitage.